0: Well, if you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be. And the title of the message is The All Encompassing Love of God. And uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we are working our way through the book of Romans. Uh, Last week, we looked at, uh, I think it was verses 27 through 30. This week, we're going to be actually 34. And now we're looking at 35 through 39. But the all-encompassing love of God, if there's one thing I've learned throughout the years about love, it is this. I don't know much about love. (laughs) I'd like to say I do, but I really don't. Um, Whatever I thought I knew about love years ago has been proven to be of very little significance. And uh, if you're honest with yourselves, you probably have to agree with me to some extent. I remember as a teenager growing up, I remember... And just to be honest, I, mean, I know it won't shock you, but I didn't date a whole lot in high school. Um, <laughs> just didn't get in the circle. Here, here, going, growing up in a, in a smaller school in, in Minneapolis, it was like, every month there was like these five guys and these five girls. Of course, there's like a lot more than that, but they were like, doo, 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 doo. you know, like, you know, the rotation. It's like, I didn't want to get in on the rotation. It's like, nah, sorry. I got four years of college and whatever else I had in me. I wasn't going to get involved with it. But one of the things I just saw and heard flippantly was, Guys and girls saying all the time, oh, I love you. Oh, I love you so much. I love you. I'm like, ah, uh, giga maggot. Um, that's not love. I mean, if you remember, just think for a minute. Go back to the first person that you said you loved. And you think, oh, did you really love that person? Nah. You had a pretty good crush on him. You had a pretty good infatuation with him. But if you're honest with yourself, you probably didn't love him like you would say you love somebody today. But I remember uh, growing up in that scenario and thinking, man, I, I just, I, I wanted, I, there's only two women that I've said I've loved to. At a young age that I truly met, and that was, one of them was my mom, and the other one was my wife. And uh, I did not tell her, she was the first lady or woman that I dated that I said I love you to, was my wife. And I wanted those words to be special, and I, but even then, if we look back on my relationship of these last 27 and a half years and longer, if we consider the years dating before we got married, our love, I wouldn't want to go back to that love that was 30 years ago. Love is different. It's stronger. It's deeper. It's much greater than it ever was then. But I often wonder that what we think we know about loving God is probably insignificant as to where it should be. You say, I love God. And God says, wait a minute. I love you so much. And if we were to look at what God's Word says we should be and do if we really love Him, He says, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. And over and over He talks about what love compels us to do. But this morning we're going to talk about God's encompassing love to us. So uh, years ago I developed my own definition of love. Love is a decision that results in action and expects nothing in return. Let me say it again. Love is a decision that results in action and expects nothing in return. I've used that definition for years now because I think it really spells out what a good definition of love is. First of all, it is a decision to love someone. It's a decision. No one can make you do it. I can't stick a gun to your head and say, you have to love this person. And if you don't love them, I'm going to shoot you. Well, I can shoot you, but I cannot make you love somebody. Love is a decision, and you have to make it if you are going to do it. Number two, love compels me to action, right? If I love someone, but it's not backed up by my action, is it really love? Well, the obvious answer is what? No. Love compels us to action. And number three, whether or not the recipient responds according to my expectation, I still choose to love. Expects nothing in return. I love because it's the right thing to do. So when I start thinking about what love is and how my love has grown for my wife and for my God and for my family and all these areas, these things are what comes to play. I have chosen to love you. Therefore, when your expectation is not what I think it should be, it doesn't change my view of love for you. I still love you because you're imperfect just as I am imperfect. Right? So I can't have expectations for you. Oh, well, I can and I do, but oftentimes we have those expectations for others that we're not willing to put on our own selves. We want them to have a certain response in a certain uh, situation, but we don't expect ourselves to have to fulfill the same sometimes. Man's love is often very conditional where God's love is unconditional. And third... Whether or not my child responds to it correctly doesn't change the fact I've chosen. Even though they may disappoint me. Even though they may frustrate me to high heaven. Even though they may not do what I want them to do or be who I want them to be. The bottom line is, I still choose to love. Even though I may not have the expectation given back in return. But when I think about this, is this not God? Does not God choose to love us does he not really uh, compel us to act? did not his love compel his son to go to the cross through his love? Because he loved us so much. And, you know, there's nothing we can do for that love. There's nothing, there's no way that we can earn it. There's nothing we can do to satisfy it because we, we're not, the, we're the recipients of it. It's a gift. So when I was thinking about this over this weekend, I thought, you know, what are some of the verses that talk about this? The very, to me, the very first one that came to my mind and probably the most realistic one that all of us have heard our entire lives if you've grown up at church at all is what? John 3.16. For God so loved the world. There's the decision. He chose to love us. Did we have to do something to earn that love? No. Is there anything you could do to earn that love? No. He chose to love you and all of us that are in this world that He what? gave there's the action that he was compelled to perform because of his love he goes i love you so much that i am going to give you my son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life and he leads us to a choice whether we respond right or not The reality is he still loves us but some of us will willfully choose to reject him that's got to be hard for someone that you've chosen to love. What happens in our own scenario, and we can only understand this in a finite a little bit, I think, in, in a little, little perspective of it, is that when we love somebody and we put our heart into it, and we give to that love and we put energy and effort and, and existence into that love decision, and they don't respond correctly, does that not hurt? Anybody? That hurts sometimes. Because we have expectations. Expectations. And sometimes in our humanness, in our conditional love, we kind of let that bother us to where we kind of pull back. Where God says, I still love you. I still love you. So I'm thinking, for God, that's God, the only one that could do this. So love the world that He gave. How about Romans 5, 5 and 5, 8? And hope does not put to shame, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Think about it. Hope does not put to shame. Isn't that amazing? Because we have the hope in who God is and what He's done for us. But Verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hey, clean up your life. Get get your act together. Get everything right before me. Then I'll exercise my love to you. No, He didn't do it that way. He draws us to the things that we can improve on. He shows us what sin is. And he He gives us His Word so that we might know His heart But He doesn't expect us to get to a certain level and then therefore I'm going to exercise my love to you. Right? He says, while we were yet sinners, He died for us. How about 1 John 4, 9 and 10? By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So not only did He have this expectation that we would come and be perfect before He could love us, because we can't do that, He says, because you can't and you have a sin-filled life, He goes, I'm even going to take care of that for you. His love compelled His own Son to die on the cross and be the propitiation for our sins. He paid sin's penalty because we couldn't do it. How's that for love? How about 1 John 3, 1? See how great... A love the Father has given to us that we would be called the children of God. And we are. And for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. How great a love the Father has given to us. A great love. It's not insignificant that He loves us. It's not insignificant that He gave because of that love. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10 says this, for the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken. Yes, Yahweh says, who has compassion on you? Think about this for a minute. He says, well, okay, let's go back, let's put our memories hats back on just for a minute go back in time. Israelites, the children of Israel, always walk with God perfectly, yes or no? Oh my goodness, wasn't there not a huge sin cycle? They just kept going on. I mean, they just had they had the thing on loop. It just kept repeating. You know, we're going to sin. We're going to you know you know cry out to God. God's going to have mercy on me. He's going to give us what we want. And then we're going to sin some more. We're going to take it for granted. It's just this vicious cycle. It just kept going on and on and on. He says, "For the for the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed." Wow. I don't know, but you, but there's been times in my humanness that I have felt rejected. Felt like I couldn't do enough. That I couldn't make things right enough. No matter what I did. And in my humanness, I feel like that love was taken from me. In my humanness, I wasn't feeling it. I almost felt really conditional. If I could just perform. If I could just do. If I could just be, then I would get this full encompassing love. And you find yourself coming short because we're human. And we're sinful. And we're not perfect. And yet he says, even in your sinfulness, even in your repetitive failure, he says, my loving kindness will not be removed. Is that not incredible? Think about that just for a moment. He goes on in Psalm chapter 86, verse 15. He says, "But you, O Lord, are a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving-kindness and truth." Isn't that amazing? He says, "God is abundant in His love to us. Our human love pales in comparison. And one more, Psalm 136, verse 26 says, "Give thanks to God of, to the God of heaven." For his loving kindness endures forever. Isn't that amazing? He says, My love is forever. So I want you to think about this. we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 just for a few moments. It's not my longest message here. I say that, and I kind of regret that sometimes. Um, (laughs) But if we think about this, build this base of foundation of all the things that God says his love is to us. And he says it's forever. And now look at Romans chapter 8, and I want to read verses uh, 30. Four to the end of, actually verse thirty-five through the end of uh, the chapter. It says, "Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction, or turmoil, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter." But in all these things, we were overwhelmingly conquered through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. First of all, when you think of that kind of love, there's only one who can love us this way. And that is God Himself. First of all, he starts off with a question. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who? And you think about that. The word who means that there's a being out there somewhere that's being challenged. Or presupposes that maybe, might possibly, but we know it's a rhetorical question almost. Who's going to do this? Nobody. And nothing. So this statement is really a statement of incredible confidence. He's absolutely convinced of the power of Christ's love. Let me ask a question. How much confidence do you have in God's love? Think about it. How much confidence do you have in God's love for you? In the love of Christ for you? If we were going to compare it in human terms, we'd be way off. Because, once again, it's hard for man to separate God's love or differentiate God's love from man's love. Because so much of man's love, even though we'd never say it, we don't want to admit it, but it's really conditional in some respects. But God's love, He didn't say, Oh, you messed up today. Sorry. Sorry about you. Just going to, like, you know, do it again, you lose heaven. Sorry. It's enough. Enough is enough. Can you imagine that? (laughs) None of us would be going. We all are inconsistent. We're all sinners. But the statement is a statement of incredible confidence. How much confidence do you have? I don't know about you, but there's times in my youth I didn't have a whole lot of confidence in my parents' love because I knew I did something stupid. I knew I was going to get it. And I associated getting it with their love not being there. But I knew that God's love is consistent. He's absolutely convinced of the power of Christ's love. And then he goes on and just asks the question. Affliction. Turmoil. Persecution. Famine. Nakedness. Peril. Sword. Think about those statements just for a moment. Affliction. Really, some of your translations may say tribulation. It literally is referenced to mean anything miserable. Anybody have some things that cause misery in your life? I mean, just think about that for a moment. Every about third day, I make the mistake of turning the news on. It irritates me. I wish to God I wouldn't do it, but I just... Ugh. there's that urge just to see what's happening because I didn't watch it for three days and i got to go turn on Fox just for a minute and that's all it takes. And it's like, oh, misery. Mm. And once again, I don't care what side you're on. It's misery. But i got to do it. My flesh wants to see what's happening. Did I miss something in the last three days? Nope. Just turn it off. But really, the whole idea behind this affliction is Anything that causes misery. Frustrations that we go through every day of life. Circumstances that don't meet our expectations. Misery. Make us miserable at times. He says, anything that can cause misery, he goes, my love is greater. The question is, do we trust it? Dave had a great Sunday school lesson this morning and talking about why... You know, what our faith does. You can imagine, you imagine know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the fiery furnace, pumped up seven times hotter. What gives them the, the ability to do that and to survive it? Trust in a God who knows what's going on. I trust His love for me. He loves me so much that He's not going to let this misery, this frustration, this anxiety, these situations to affect me if I but trust His love. Literally anything that is miserable. Grievous in affliction. And the other thought there is anything oppressing. What oppresses? News. Um, Turmoil. Distress. Literally, the whole idea behind turmoil is anything that would hem you in to isolate you and leave you with no means of escape. You know, in the Greek language, that word uh, turmoil, that word distress, literally means narrow space. It's the idea of being claustrophobic. Anybody experience that? <laughs> oh man! I tell you what—you ever been in a uh, what do you call that machine? That um, MRI. There you go. Have you ever been in one of those things? Drive you nuts. I'm not really claustrophobic, but I'll tell you what—I've met people who are. But that's literally the idea in the Greek language behind this word. It means to be narrowed in it's almost like you feel the oppression coming in on all sides. And it just takes away your hope, your joy. It takes away your sense of consciousness because I feel like it's being closed in on me. That's literally that word. It's like I don't have anywhere to turn. I I, I, I can't go this way, I can't go that way, I can't can't stand. I am literally hemmed in. He says, my love is greater. Don't worry about that. It may be uncomfortable. It may not be what you want, but my love for you is greater. And by the way, it's the same idea of what Paul was saying in Second Corinthians chapter seven and verse five. He says, "For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side." How would you like to feel that? We come into this new town. We're about God's business. We're about to preach the Gospel. And all of a sudden, there is the enemy closing in. And I feel like I have nowhere to turn. We're afflicted on every side. It's conflict without fears within. He says, I feel like I am can't move. Can't take a step in either direction. I'm hemmed in. Persecutions even if I'm killed. What did Paul say earlier, or later in Philippians chapter 1, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is what? But I don't want to die! I mean, we do everything in our might not to have to die, right? Well, we say, well, if you didn't do everything in you might not die, you think you're a little bit crazy. Well, right. But we shouldn't fear death. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death has no what? Fear for the believer. Because for us, this is just temporary. Then he goes on to say, famine, the lack of food and drink, I still know that God's love is sufficient. When I don't have what I want or what I think I need, his love is still greater. It's still there. Nakedness, in this word, it does not mean nudity, it means lack of proper clothing. What's proper clothing? Is it Pole Ralph Lauren? Is it I don't even know the names anymore. I can't go there. <laughs> I go to Walmart. You know. But the reality is <laughs> lack of clothing, food. I think all of us are pretty good at that. But even that, he says, My love is greater. Peril. Anything dangerous that we may experience. See here's the problem. Do we trust God with our life? Do we trust Him? He loves us so much, but do we trust His love? He loves us so much. And Once again, we've talked in other messages about the sovereignty of God. God can do anything He wants because He's God, and He doesn't have to get our permission to do it, right? We all agree with that, right? He's sovereign. He's God. He's all powerful. He can do whatever He wants. doesn't need our permission. But what about when this accident happens? What about when this illness or this cancer enters my life? What about when the death of a loved one really hits home? What about all the circumstances that you could fill in the blank with it? God makes no mistakes. Do I love Him enough to trust Him? He loves me enough to only allow those things in my life that are for my good. Do you understand that? He loves us so much that He will only let those things into our life that are for our good. Why? Why? Romans 8, We looked at that a couple weeks ago. All things work together for them that love God, they are called according to His purpose. Then He goes on verse 29, which is often forgotten with the text, that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. He allows what He allows that we might become more like Jesus. Do I love Him enough to trust Him? He loves us enough to allow those things in our lives that are good for us. But do we love Him enough in return? There's going to be Danger in our lives In fact, Paul says it this way in Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26. He says, "I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in desolate places, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brothers. Ouch. Everywhere Paul went, I mean, without exception, he said, "I found danger there. I was out on the water. Danger. Out in dry land, danger. In the city, danger. Out in the middle of the country where there's nobody, danger. In church! Wait, wait, did he say that one? Yeah, he says among false brothers. That happens. He says, danger. You're not going to avoid danger. You can't. But he said this, I love you enough that I want to take care of you. Will you love me enough in return to trust me? And he goes on and says one more thing, sword. Sword, anything that might kill. Anything that would cause death in your life. He says, I love you greater. So let's go back to that verse in verse 35. Who, and practically put the word what, will separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing. Then he goes on to verse 36 It kind of throws it in. Let's be honest. Just Honesty hand raise here. How many have read verse 36 and say, what in the world is that? Let's be honest. Come on. All right. Thank you. All four of you. Um, So he says in verse 36, he says, just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Wait a minute. We're being put to death all day long? What what, What is that? Well, first of all, it's a reiteration of Psalm 44:22. He says, but for your sake, we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. But literally, in other words, we shouldn't think it's strange that we as believers would experience fiery trials. We shouldn't think it's strange that the world wants to bring all these things at us. All day long, people are going to be attacking and they're going to be pushing and they're going to be shoving and they're going to be forcing and they're going to be even killing in some places. Don't think it's strange. Don't think it odd. Don't think it out of place because all day long this stuff is happening all around the world. Spend a couple days in Pakistan. Spend a couple days in the interior of India. Go to the outskirts of Somalia. Go to some of the places where the Fulani Muslim tribes are running rampant and the Boko Haram is running rampant and the Lord's Resistance Army is running rampant all across Africa. You'll find that Christians everywhere are dying. We have it so good here. Don't think it's strange if it comes. It's going to come. I don't know when. I don't want it. (laughs) I'm gonna try to avoid it best I can because that's my nature to fight and to resist and get away from that stuff. But he says, Don't think it's strange. Don't think it odd. That's literally what it means. Don't think it odd that we're counted as sheep for the slaughter as children of God. There's a world that doesn't care for Christ. It is what it is. They need Jesus. Why would we expect them to think any differently? Right? So he goes on here. In Psalm 14, 4, it says, Do all the workers of iniquity not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon Yahweh? He says, wait, they are eating us up like bread. It happens. But I want you to know this. God loves you. Enough to not let anything happen to you, but what is for our good. The question is, do I trust it? He goes on verse 37. But in all these things, what's the things? The things that he just talked about in verses 35 and 36. All these things. He says, we are overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Some of your translations may say we are more than conquerors. Um, There's a pastor that I read his commentaries every once in a while. His name is Ray Steadman. He explains more than a conqueror this way by writing. He says, if we barely manage to win our way to heaven by the skin of our teeth, we could be said to be a conqueror. But a more than conqueror is someone who takes the worst that life can throw at him and uses that to become victorious. More than a conqueror is one who, by the grace and the gift of God and the strength of God that is within him, actually takes the very things that are designed to destroy him and they become stepping stones instead of a stumbling block. That is being more than a conqueror. Isn't that cool? I mean, think about that just for a moment. Taking the very things that are meant to destroy you and saying, I'm going to use them as a stepping block to victory. That's being more than a conqueror. I read one commentary put this way. It says, we are over-overcomers. I mean, we're not just an overcomer. We are over-overcomers. We got this because of God's love to us. There's nothing that this life can throw at us that God's love can't help us conquer. And this is a little bit different in the Legacy Standard Bible than some of the other translations. I think the NSB puts, puts it this way too. But verse, verse 35, uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, 37. But in all these things, we, are over, we overwhelmingly conquer. We overwhelmingly conquer. And they he says, how? Through him. If you want to have victory in your life, you have to let God work through you. Because you can't do it yourself. Anybody ever try to persuade people not to do something? Try to persuade people to do something? I can't. I can't. I've tried. God knows. <laughs> can't do it. I look at the circumstances of life that I would not choose, the things that I would not pick, the circumstances and situations that I just can't stand, and I try to fix them, and I can't. Not for trying, but the reality is, he says, through him, we can overwhelmingly conquer. That means it's not about my wisdom. It's not about my knowledge. It's not about my... Experiences now about my what I think I can do to fix something, handle something, go through something, is through him. It says in all these things, we will overwhelmingly overcome through him. He's got to be the one. And just in case you're not quite convinced yet, he gives us two more verses. It says, for I am convinced, and I asked that question early on. Verse thirty-five is really a statement of convinced, of one being convinced of his God's love. And now he reaffirms that in verse thirty-eight. It says, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. I would kind of put a, kind of a man-made human caveat to that. Anything can separate us if we let it. In the flesh. Anything can. And I've seen churches split over the color of paint. I used to think those were a joke when I was in junior high and Senior high, I hear stories like that. I thought that was a joke. Come on, really? Yeah, it actually happened. I've se- I've heard of stories of churches splitting over how to use a donation that was given in someone's death. I've seen churches split over the color of carpet. I almost watched a church split over an organ, which organ they bought. Imagine that! Churches split for the dumbest things. You know what's crazy about it? It's usually not doctrine. It's usually not theology. It's usually not anything but opinion, preferences, convictions that they have, we have, you have, I have. What destroys us is what we let destroy us. It's true of every church in America. But when Christ is at the center of it and his love is overwhelming, <laughs> I. I debated going into a study of 1 Corinthians 13 with this. But the one that stood me, love thinks no evil. You did that on purpose. And you just demonstrate that you don't love me, if that's your opinion. You did this on purpose. No, love thinks no evil. I didn't do it on purpose. Conflict often comes as a result of lack of information or lack of communication. But when God's love is there, present, what can't we overcome? Nothing. Somebody asked the question in closing. What are you convinced of? What are you convinced of? He says, I am convinced that none of these things will separate me from my love or God's love for me. What are you convinced? Are you convinced that God's love you, that God loves you? You should be after this. You should be completely convinced that God is in control, that God is still on the throne, that God is still at work, and that He's only allowing those things in our lives that are good for our good. You should be that convinced. After reading a a subject like this. Yeah, the world? I expect the world not to. I expect the frustrations and stresses and accusations and attacks from the world. I don't expect it from within. Because God's love is greater. Amen? It ought to be. I think sometimes we just need to get back to the reminder that God loves us so much. And if he loves us that much, we love him because he first loved us. We should love him in, in in return. And let that love flow through us as a body of believers. Because he's greater. Lord, I ask God, your Father, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. God, I ask that you would speak to my heart, overcome my own flesh, my own selfishness. I ask, dear God, that you would just work in all of us, Lord, to understand that that love is so great, that nothing should separate us, Lord. We're reminded in your word that for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That world, Lord, that we cannot see is at work, fighting and striving and causing discord and disunity. Lord, I pray that your love would be greater within us. Be greater within me, Lord. I pray that it would filter through every one of us in this church building that we might see and know your love. That it's so great, so en- all encompassing. There's nothing greater. So, Lord, work in our hearts to draw us closer to you. Lord, may we be reminded today of how great that love is, the love that's so great that sent your son to the cross. To pay a price, Lord, that we could not pay for our sin debt. And Lord, I do pray, if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, might today be the day of salvation for them. They might truly understand and know what it means to know your love that went all the way to the cross of Calvary. As heads are bowed eyes are closed, just ask for a moment that no one be looking around, just a moment of contemplation as we do each and every Sunday a moment to think through the things that were said this morning, a chance to respond, if you will. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know <laughs> what the obstacles are in your life to understanding God's love for you. But maybe it's just a reminder this morning to know that God loves you so much. And His love is so far greater than anything that we can understand. See, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself, There's probably some circumstances where I haven't let God's love flow through. There's probably some circumstances where God's love has not been seen, evidenced in my life. Maybe even some circumstances where God's love has not been felt. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Just with uplifted hand, not embarrass you, not call you out. Simply pray for me. There's some things where God's love needs to be more evident. Anyone? Yes. I just challenge you to take a moment, pray. That you would not only accept his love, but show his love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by our love for one another. And then just think of that word confidence. He says, I am confident of this. What are you confident of? What are you confident in? Let's all stand. Lord, you know our hearts. And Lord, as we're looking at this end of chapter 8, Lord, I pray it be a reminder to all of us, Lord, as we go about our weeks, as we go about our days, that your love to us is so great, it should help us to overcome anything things I wouldn't choose, the things I wouldn't pick the things I don't understand, the things that frustrate the things that can destroy the things, Lord, whatever negativity whatever circumstance that may be around us, Lord, your love is greater just thinking about Dave this morning, the three men going into the fiery furnace I believe they're confident of your love, you're in control of that situation too every situation Lord, your love is greater thank you for this reminder today from your word. And I pray that we might hold it dear to our hearts and our lives this week. As we go about your will, may we walk in obedience and in your love. We pray in Jesus' name.